you to just start thinking about it. Okay? Amen. Amen. You ready for the word? Let, let, me, let me ask you this. If, if someone were to ask you, okay, someone came up to you and asked you this question, what is God's ultimate purpose in the Bible from the Bible? What, what would your answer be? What, okay, here's God's Bible. Here's his word, right? And it, it's so full. It's full of wisdom, it's full of knowledge, it's full of history, it's full of biology, it's full of law, it's full of stories, it, it's full of truth, it's full of commandments, it's full of, of all these different things. It covers a, a host of, an unending list of topics and, and all these things, all these teachings that come from the prophets and the apostles and from Christ himself. What is God's ultimate purpose in all of it? Out of all of that, I believe that God has one big idea, and it's, a, it's a, a strand that you can find through Scripture. And the, the big idea is this. The ultimate purpose of God in, in all of this is, is simply this. Throughout Scripture, we can read this statement or variations of it. You will be my people, and I will be your God. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God throughout this whole book. You can read that into every part of this, of this book. Um, you will be my people. I will be your God. In fact, I made a list of the re quick research I could do. We, we can find that statement in Genesis and Exodus four times in Deuteronomy and Joshua and 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, three times in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, twice in the Psalms, twice in Jeremiah, six times in Ezekiel. Twice in Hosea, twice in Joel, in Zephaniah, Zechariah, Matthew, John, and three times in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, twice in Ephesians, two times in 2 Timothy, Hebrews, 1 Peter, and three times in 1 John. And that's what I could find. And then there's one more. Revelation 21.3. New heaven and new earth has come down. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will get this. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. That's at the end of the book. It was at the beginning of the book. We find at the end of the book. How many of you know that that's God's ultimate purpose for all of this? You know what that means? That means you're his ultimate purpose. Because that's the heart of our God. That's the desire of our God. All this stuff, all the things that we read, all, you know, Leviticus, oh, my Lord, what are you trying to do? It, he has a purpose in mind because it's, it's the kind of God he is. You know, you could, if you understand a person's purpose, you'll understand a lot more about the person. And this tells us some things about our God. It tells us that, he's, number one, he's relational. Above everything else, he's relational. He wants to know people. He wants people to know him. The Bible says God is love. Not God loves. I mean, he does. But it says God is love. His very essence is love itself. And he's looking for receivers. Anybody here a receiver? He's looking for receivers. He, he, he's a relational. He, he, he wants fellowship. He, he's, God's social. You've never thought of that. But, but he's a social God. Every time you look in Scripture, God's never alone. Never alone. There's always a crowd around him. There's angels and cherubims and seraphims and, you know, and the four and twenty elders and four living things, and ultimately it's going to be us. Gathered 
around his throne because he his because he's love, love abides and he wants to hang out with you. He wants to be with you. And God's a God of family. He's got the heart of a father. He, he, he looks at you and he looks at me, not sometimes as the picture that we get in our minds of this strict, super powerful, all-knowing, all-wise being and looking for a chance to fix us or correct us or judge us. That's not his nature. His nature is the heart of a father. His nature is to birth and to nurture and to care for and to protect and to provide and, and, and to watch over and to mature. That's his character. That's his nature. That's what he, how he relates to each of us. Those who have parents, man, I love my kids. I, I love to hang with my p- kids. I want to be around my kids. And they're adults now. I don't know if they necessarily always want to be around me as much. But. And then you talk about grandkids. Well, it's <laughs> another thing. Say this. I'm God's ultimate purpose. Do you believe it? You're God's ultimate purpose. Now, any place there's a purpose, I'm trying, I'm trying to do some underground work here, and I'm taking probably too long at it because it's not where I want to get to. I'm aiming at something. Anywhere there's purpose, okay, there has to be a plan, yes. right? Because purpose without a plan is just a dream. Right. It's, it's just something you wish for, but will never actually come about. So if there's a purpose, then there has to be a plan. And God has a plan, and his plan is twofold. Number one is plan's comprehensive. That means it's fixed. That means it's complete. That means it, it spans all of time and every generation. That from Gen- Genesis to Revelation, from, from creation um, all the way to his second coming and, and ultimately to the new heavens and new earth and to eternity beyond, God's plan is, covers all of it. It's all under his plan. Secondly, his plan is also customizable. Okay? It's fixed, but it's flexible because God not only has a plan for all of life, God has a plan for your life. And his plan for your life is probably a little different than his plan for the person next to you, their life or my life or any. His plan comes customized to you. Can you imagine the sovereign God, this all wise God? Has, has taken time to sit back and devise a plan for you. That's, that's a little overwhelming when you really, if you really think about it. He's, a, he's that hands-on kind of a God. He's that up-close, in-your-business kind of a God. He's, he's that kind of God who just keeps showing up. You ever have a friend who just keeps showing up? They just, you know, you don't necessarily invite them, but they just keep showing up. God's that kind of a God. He shows up every day in your life. And he's there. Sometimes we don't even consider or realize he's there. But, you know, the problem isn't that he's not. The problem is sometimes we don't bring him in. We don't give him the attention that he deserves. So God has a purpose and you're his purpose. And he has a plan that's unfolding in the world. And he has a plan that's unfolding in your life. So today I want to talk about how do we find it and how do we walk it out? If God has a purpose and a plan for us, how do we find it? How do we walk it out? We're, we're in a series called Pivot, um, just because I like the word. And the, the, the action, the definition that goes, you know, the, the, 
thing you think of describes what we're trying to do in this sermon series. We're trying to find those areas of our lives that need to pivot. They need to change. They need an adjustment. They, they need a course correction. They, they need to, um, in order for us to get to the next level, to get to the place we want to get to or that God wants to get us to, sometimes there's parts of our lives that need to pivot. Right. They need to change. Um, and when it comes to talking about God's unfolding purpose and plan in our lives, if we're going to really walk that out, I don't know if you found, but in my life, I'm always pivoting. He's, he's always saying, hey, you know how you use Not anymore. Because that's life with God. That, that's just the unfolding life with God. So today's, today's message is, is entitled, because I always have to give titles, is, is Pivot Towards Promise. All right? Pivot Towards Promise. If you, if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Peter. We're going to read our text in just a second. because Peter's going to help us understand that the fulfilling of God's purpose and plan um, is totally dependent upon a pursuit of his promises. All right? First, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're only taking two verses, verses 3 and 4. Well known, you'll recognize it as you hear it. It says, his gods, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you would become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Father, this is your word, and this is your time, and we're your people. And we pray that you do what you want today. I pray that you cause me to say the right words. I pray you cause your people to hear the right words from you. God, honor your word today and, and bless your people through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Peter's telling us something here. There's something about God's purpose. There's something about God's plan that's tied to an understanding and an acceptance and a walking or living within or under the banner, cover of, canopy of God's promises. All right, so there's a foundation. That's, that's where we're heading today. There's something about his promises that will keep us, that will mature us, that will move us and direct us and guide us through our lives to accomplish, to fulfill his purpose, his plan for us. Three lessons I want to draw from the text that we just read. Um, in fact, it, when you read the text, if you read it again, you realize you can read the text itself as a promise. You really can. You can read the text itself as a promise from God, something you can lay hold of. All right, point number one, we need supernatural help. <laughs> Let's start there. We need supernatural help. If we're going to fulfill God's purpose and plan, how many you know we need, we need help? Look at the person next to you and say, you need help. Because <laughs> now, now look at yourself and say, I need help. I need help. See, because we just don't have that power. His divine power says has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't have the ability. The word there is dunamis. This supernatural ability, might, strength, power. We don't have the power to start, our, our, to start our own journey with Jesus. We don't have the power to walk that journey out. We don't have the power to finish that journey. We are completely dependent on the power of God. His divine power has made available to us everything necessary to have and walk out and fulfill his purposes, his plan for our life. 
Paul told, told the Corinthians, the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk, but in power. Okay, he was, he was addressing the church. The church had some big talkers. And, and they were demeaning Paul, and they were just trying to draw attention to themselves, and, and they were um, j- just trying to sway the people, and, and uh, Paul heard about it. So he writes this letter, and, and he's talking about these people, that the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk, but in power, but in power. See, you, we're, you're not a Christian just because you say you are. You're not a Christian just because you know the language. Just because you can speak Christianese doesn't make you a Christian. You're not a Christian just because you're here today or sitting online. You're not a Christian just because you can quote some scripture or you were born into a Christian family you know, or your, your, your name's on a church roll somewhere. You, that doesn't make you a Christian. A Christ, it, it, the kingdom of God's not about talk. That, that's not how we access it and that's not how we live within it and that's not how we pursue it. Paul told Timothy, he gave him a warning. You know, Timothy was like his, his, um, his student, his disciple. And he's, he's continually trying to mentor him. And he, he told Timothy, listen, there's going to be some folks in the church that you've got to be careful of. And here's how you're going to recognize them. You're going to recognize them because they're going to have an appearance of godliness, but no power. And have an appearance of godliness and no power. They look good. They sound good. They know all the words. They, they dress right. They're active in the church. They, they talk a good talk. But if you really look at their life, there's no fruitfulness. There, there's no character of Christ. There, there's no power. And it's interesting because he says, avoid those people. <laughs> avoid those people. I, you know, we, we always think, well, the people we're supposed to avoid are, are sinners. Well, how are sinners going to get saved? If we avoid them. But here, it's, he's talking about church folks. And he's saying there's some church folks you got to watch out for. They may not be good fodder for the, to be a best friend. I'm not going down there. I'll get in trouble. L- let's admit this. And if nothing else, just admit it within ourselves. We don't have the resources within ourselves to walk out his plan and his purpose in, my, in your life. Let, let's just settle that, okay? That... We need help. A lot of times, the reason we fail or stumble in our Christian walk isn't because we don't desire or love Jesus. That's not the problem. It's not a lack of love or a lack of devotion to Jesus. It's a lack of, of really surrender. It's a, it's, the problem is really self-reliance. Even in our walk with him, self-reliance, which ends up being spiritual arrogance. And we have to come to a point where we recognize it's only him. It's only his power that we can rely on. His divine power, and that's all, gives us everything we need when it comes to a life and godliness. See, God had to give us everything. Your spiritual ability, there's only one reason you have it. Because God gave it to you. Because he... His power enabled you. He, uh, only his power gives us any kind of spiritual ability, life. That's the ability to know him, number one, ground level. The ability to know him. You know, I found Jesus on January. No, no that's, that's, I, everyone understands what you mean by that. But Jesus was never lost. 
Jesus was never lost. You heard his voice. The call that he's had on your life for since you were born, you, you finally said, oh. <laughs> but see, when it comes to everything pertaining to life, God did it. All by, his, all by his power. Godliness, okay? So it's his power that gives me the right and the ability to, to know him, to establish a relationship with him, salvation. But now that same divine power I have to rely on for godliness. That means the ability to walk out that life that he's put in us. To walk out a, a spiritual life with him. Everything necessary for salvation and for transformation is beyond our ability, but his divine power has made it available for us. Made it available to us. Somebody say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. And when it comes to life and godliness, he's prepared it in advance. It says that he has granted. He doesn't make it up as, you know, just for you. He has granted. He's put this purpose and plan in place and has done everything necessary for it to unfold in your life. He has created past tense. Years ago, Mary and I were invited to a, a picnic, a small picnic for a, a small um, ministry organization that worked with uh, young people. And they invited us to this picnic. So we got the location, uh, you know, the, is it a, at a park at a certain time on a certain date. And we showed up. You know, it was supposed to be at one o'clock or something like that. And so we showed up at one o'clock and we scoured that park. We walked everywhere. They told us the specific area to go to, and nobody was there. So we figured, well, maybe we got the wrong location. So we walked the park. Nobody's there. Now we're starting to think, okay, maybe we got the wrong time. You know, and, and we're there for a while, and nobody shows up. So we think, well, maybe we got the wrong day. You know, and, and we finally, I think we're probably there close to an hour, and we, we're on our way to the car, and the main leader shows up. And she has a box in her hand and say, wasn't it today? Yeah. Well, wasn't it? One? Yeah. And we were just totally confused because we didn't, nothing was prepared. Nothing was ready. Now, if we went on with the story, it's a little funny because she hands us the box and says, would you mind setting out the decorations and setting up? I have to go pick some people up. And so we set up for the party that we were invited to attend. And then as people started arriving, we had another appointment, so we just had to leave. <laughs> but see, God doesn't do that. When, she, when you showed up and said, God, I need help, he was prepared. When you showed up and said, man, I, I need help, he, he was prepared. He, he was ready. He, everything that needed to be done was done. When you came to Christ... He did everything that needed to be done for you to have life and for you to have godliness. God has already come in the flesh. He's already taken on every trial, every tribulation, every sickness, every hurt, every pain, every disappointment, every discouragement. Everything that you will experience in this life, he has already taken upon himself. He's already paid the price for your salvation. He's already bled. He's already died for your sin and for my sin. Colossians says that he's canceled the record of the charges that were against us, and he took it away by nailing it to his cross. He's already done that. And he's already resurrected. He's already ascended back to the Father. He's already seated and crowned. He's already making intercession for you 
before God the Father. And he already has a plan to come back and get you. He has granted to us everything we need to accomplish what we can't any other way. To walk out and to fulfill and to know his purposes and his plan in our life. His divine power has put it all on tap. So the question it leads us to, well, if it's there, how do we tap into it? How do we lay hold of it? I'm glad you asked. Point number two, it's all about who you know. All about who you know. So often, I've met a lot of people and counsel a lot of people over the years that, that they just feel a little, something's off spiritually. They feel a little disconnected from the Lord. They feel like, yeah, things aren't just as... And they're invariably, where they go in their conversation, and I've had some people just ask me outright, look, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling distant and, and sort of dry spiritually, and, and so... Is there like a, a Sunday school class I could teach or is there a group I could lead or something? I'm thinking like, well, I don't think, you know, spiritual carelessness is a qualification to be a leader. I don't, I'm not sure what to do with that, but I understand what people are saying. Because our response is, well, if I'm, if I'm lacking that, then give me something spiritual to do. Because in the doing, that will restore the relationship. And it never works. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. And Peter's telling us that. He's saying it's not about the doing, it's about the knowing. If you want to tap into this divine power that provides everything you need to accomplish and walk out and fulfill his purpose and plan for your life, you do it through, it says, through the knowledge of him. Not the doing for him, but the knowledge of him who has called you to his own glory. He's called you to his own glory. He's called you to be just like him. How do you know we need help to do that? That that's not in us to be like him. And the way it happens is this knowledge of him. The gateway to his glory and excellence, the gateway to being like him, is this knowledge of him. Now, if you study that word, we have such a broad understanding of the word know, you know, knowing somebody or knowing something. But if you, if you study it in the, in the original text, it means a full discernment, okay, a, a full discernment. Jesus defines eternal life as knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ who he sent. Isn't that our goal as disciples? The goal of a disciple is to know, to fully discern, to become like the one that they follow. It's not just like, oh, they walk in a room and you can tell who you know their name. You know, or it's not like, you know, all the people you follow online. You know, who, who you've never even met, but you think you know them, right? You know, we, we fool ourselves into that, like, like we have this relationship with this person. Paul says one day we're going to see him face to face. And at that point, it says we will fully know him the same way he fully knows us. God fully knows you right now. I was talking, we were talking before service, and one part of the conversation was, why do we, I'll use a strong word, but why do we lie to God? Or why do we try to fool him? Because we come to God and we present ourselves as something we're not. And he knows us. He knows us completely. And while you're telling him whatever you tell him, he knows the motivation behind what you're saying. So why don't we just come to him? Right? Why don't we just come to him? God, here I am. Here, here's what I think I'm sort of good at. Here's some stuff I'm really bad at. 
And I need your help with all of it. And one day we're going to know him that way. But in the meantime, from now till then, it's, it's an unfolding process. It's a continual pursuit. It's something that we have to be reaching for and grasping every day. Because God doesn't hide, but he wants to be searched. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Okay? So God's looking for people who will seek him. And then in the seeking, he loves to show himself. He loves to reveal himself. Oh, that we would have the heart like Paul. What does Paul say? Paul says, I count everything as worth nothing except one thing. The surpassing excellence of knowing Christ. This ever-expanding experience of walking with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus himself on earth said, ask, seek, knock. He's inviting us. He's giving us a pattern. And, and if you study that passage, the, those words are, are a, a, mean continuous action. Ask and keep on asking. See, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. It's, it's lifestyle. And, and the thing is, and when we apply that to our relationship with him, that we're always asking, we're always seeking, we're always, always knocking. You know what he says? The next, his next conclusion of that statement is that because... The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it'll be open to them. So he's inviting us to know him more. He's inviting us. Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open, I'm coming in. If anyone would, would pay attention, if anyone would acknowledge me, he can know me. And I'll dine with him. I'll come in and dine with him. Listen, don't, wherever you are in your journey with the Lord, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, don't stop. Because you don't know him all yet. You don't know all of him yet. You have experience. You've had great experience. You know, hopefully you know more of him than you did. But don't stop. Don't settle. Hey, you know, this, this thing is kind of cool right now. I kind of like where I am, me and Jesus, and fits in and not making any waves or not ruffling things, and it's not really costing me much. It's kind of comfortable knowing Jesus. Well, don't settle. Don't settle. Because here's what I found. A relationship with Jesus is never stagnant. It's not always growing, but it's never stagnant. And if those two statements are true, then the conclusion is scary. Because that means you're drifting away. You're going in the wrong direction. Might be time to pivot. Be be a good title for a sermon series. (laughs) See, relationships only stops working if you stop working the relationship. And we're to continually, daily. He shows up daily in our lives. We should show up (laughs) with him. And, and let him keep showing himself to us in our lives and through our lives. My last point. Move from promise to partaker. This is really the, where I wanted to get. In the text it says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, get through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. What an amazing statement. 
That's a phenomenal. If you go home and just meditate on that statement, the depths and the levels and the breadth of that statement alone will, will keep you occupied for quite a while. And it'll excite you and it'll scare you all at the same time. It's amazing that we can become partakers. Now, we understand he has his divine nature and he's God, of course. But he's saying we can become partakers of that nature. Now, understand, you're never going to become God. Don't, don't have any false <laughs> you know, expectations of yourself. But we can become like his children. Weren't we created that way? Weren't we created with his image and his likeness? We can become more like that as we seek him, as we follow hard after him. See, we, we've not been born with this divine nature. We've been born with a human nature. Right, a human nature is, is, the, is the, the essential characteristic of what, what's it, what it's all about, being human. It, it's it's um, our feelings, our thinking, our behaving. It, it, it's all that, the human experience, this human nature. It, it's, it's, it's a natural way of feeling. Okay? If, to put it simply, I mean, it's a deep subject. You can read a lot of books and give yourself a headache. It's, but it's a natural way of feeling, a natural way of, of responding and working in, in, in life. Now, the problem is this. This thing called human nature that we all have, it's in a fallen state. Our human nature is fallen. Our human nature has been stained by sin. Now, the confusing part is this state, human nature, feels very natural to us. Because we're born with it. So, but listen, if you take notes, here's a good statement worth writing down. Human nature may feel natural to us. It may be our natural state. It's not our native state. All right? It's our natural state. It's not our native state. See, it feels so natural for us just to be selfish and prideful and take care of me and jealous and, and to worry or to, to fear. That's just, that's just, we don't have to even think about it. We don't have to do anything. We can just be those things with, with no problem. But we weren't created that way. Even though it feels natural to us, it's not native to us. You've got to go back to Genesis. We weren't created with that kind of a nature. We were created with a divine nature. We were created in his likeness and image. We had his nature. When Adam and Eve looked at each other, it says they were naked and unashamed. Not, and it wasn't about the naked part. It's about they saw the glory of God in each other. They saw the image of God. They saw the likeness of God. They saw the nature of God in each other. It wasn't until they lost that likeness that suddenly they realized they were naked. Suddenly they had to hide themselves. Suddenly they had to cover themselves because their nature changed. They took on a new, a different nature, a fallen nature. And the text is telling us that because of his divine power that's at work in us, he's recreating in us his divine nature by his divine power. He's working in us to recreate us back into his image in which we were created. He's coming and working with us so that we could be like him. Listen, not imitators of him, 
not impersonators of him. Sometimes we do that not even knowing. We, we give our best impersonation of Jesus. How are you doing today, brother? Oh, I'm so great. I'm blessed. I'm just, God is just overflowing in my life. I, and your life's a mess. I mean, you, you, just, you just fought with your wife. You just yelled at the kids. You kicked the dog. And then you came to church. I'm so blessed. I'm so. <laughs> no impersonations. No impressions of Jesus. He wants, he's going to put his nature in us to reflect. We're reflectors of his nature. We're containers of his. The word that Peter uses, partakers. I love that word. We partake. We take it in. We become a part of it. His very nature. Now, the question then is how? How does that trans transformation take hold in my life and unfold in my life? Well, keep reading. He grants to us his precious and very great promises. Promise. What a great word. What a great word. Know what it, know what it means in the original text? Self-committal. God has self-committed himself to certain things. We call them promises. That, you know, there was a time in culture, and I'm sure it exists in a lot of individual lives, but, but not so much just in culture in general, where a, a person's word was their word. Their word was their guarantee. You know, you didn't sign contracts. You didn't get a bunch of lawyers and have to pay, you know, $500 an hour just for them to sign something for that you signed. It was like, you, you just want that? And I want that? Let's handshake on And your word was it. That's all it took. That, that's more in line with what we're talking about when we talk about the promises of God. Everything God promises is absolutely true. Everything that God promises is absolutely accurate. And when we talk about his promises, and I'm not against them, but we're not talking about all the little cards in that promise box that you have on your counter. And I'm not talking about the daily promise that may show up in your inbox every day. And that's fine. But, but we're, we're, we're talking about something much more than that. If you have a physical Bible, look at it. If you have your phone, then look at it or think about it. At least get a mental picture of your Bible. This is the promise of God. Everything in here is part of God's promise because it's his word. Everything in here that his word says, he's going to do. He's good for it. You can count on it. This, this is the promise of God. When you, when you read his word, you can preface it. By saying, hearing God say, I promise. I promise. And then whatever, whatever you read, if it's in the word, there's truth. There's nothing in here that's not true. There's nothing in here that's not accurate. There's nothing in here that isn't um, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. The written word of God is God saying, I promise. I promise you can trust this. You can believe this. I promise that it'll, it'll work for you. I promise that it's, it's really intended for your blessing and not, not for your cursing. I promise that it's, that it's active, that it's sharp, that it's quick, that it's, that it's, it's like a two-edged sword, that it, it discerns and divides for your good. I, I promise that it'll be a, a lamp unto your feet and, and a light unto your pathway. I promise that it will stand forever. It will always endure. The written word of God, and then he comes along and the word becomes flesh. Jesus is God's promise. All the promises of God, everything God ever did or said was, is wrapped up in Jesus. And he comes along as 
the word of God in flesh. And he says, I promise if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You want to know God in heaven? Just get to know me. You want to know what he's like? Get to know me. The book of Hebrews tells us that, that he's the exact impression, the exact expression of God the Father. That's why part of why Jesus came. Because we had a hard time imagining how do we relate to this big God when Jesus comes as a man. And we can relate to him, but knowing him, you're finding out who God is. You're understanding who the Father is. Jesus comes, he says, I promise my covenant's true. I promise my blood's sufficient. I promise that my sacrifice for you was accepted to, by the Father, and you now have an open door to him. I promise I'll never leave you. I promise that I'm interceding for you and, and on your behalf. I'm in your corner. I'm, I'm working for you. I promise that my strength, you'll find my strength in your time of greatest weakness. I promise that I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I haven't forgotten you. There's a time out there. There's a moment that I have prepared. I'm coming back for you, and we're going to be together again forever this time. No separation. No division. No, no more. Just always together. He sends the word becomes flesh, and then if that's not enough, as you study the promises of God, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit who says, I promise. I promise to live in you. I promise to guide you. In the truth, I promise to lay out steps that you can walk in that will hold you, that will sustain you, that will keep you, that will get you someplace. I promise that I'll come and I'll reveal Jesus to you. I promise that I'll come and I'll shine light on the word of God so that it can transform you and you can understand. I promise that I'll convict you in times of temptation. I promise that I'll strengthen you in times of trial. I promise that I'll enable you to bear the fruit of his character in your life. I promise that I'll, I'll come to and empower you to do the work of his ministry. I promise that I'll come and constantly encourage you to not grow weary in well-doing. I promise I will be there every day. In fact, I'll live in you. The residency of the triune God is in you. And he comes with all of his promises his word is true. His word is true. And he has promised that he's going to fulfill what he said he would do. If you get to know his promises, here's the, here's the flow of this text. If you get to know his promises, you'll get to know him. If you get to know him, you'll become like him. And his nature will be formed in you. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. That's what he's trying to bring us to, that we can actually be image bearers in this world. How do we know? How do we know if it's working? How, how do we know if we're really following the right path? How do we know if, the, if, this, if this word is, is working in us? Well, it's, it's really quite simple. Evidence of his divine nature being formed in us is that we're escaping the corruptions in the world and the sinful desires that once we had are starting to fade. Sin's losing its grip and righteousness is taking hold of our lives. Stuff that we used to love doing, now it's like, ugh. We, we see that transformation taking place, and we can't take any credit for it. It's just, it's just surrendering. It's just cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit. It's just pursuing Christ. And his divine power is changing you more and more into his image, day by day by day. Listen, this brings us full cycle because as we're being changed into his image, as we bear his nature, as we're turning our back on sin and walking more and more better and better in righteousness, 
And what are we really doing? We're fulfilling his purpose and promise. Or purpose and plan. We're fulfilling. We're actually walking out his purpose and plan for our lives. And in doing so, we're fulfilling God's ultimate desire. His ultimate desire. You will be my people. I will be your God. Listen, you could read that statement and you think, yeah, one day. No. No, let's not put that on hold. Let's not make getting to heaven seem like culture shock to us. Right? Let's get used to it now. Let's get to know him now. You know, we're still going to be amazed. We're still going to be dumbstruck when we see him. But let's learn as much as we can and become as much like him as we, come, as we can now. I'm going to ask the worship team if they come. So we get ready to close this thing. I titled our time together, Pivot Towards Promise. That's the challenge for our ministry time is to take a look inward. Is your life, the different areas of your life, are they directed towards him? Are they in pursuit of him? Are they, do, the, do, do the things in your life fall within the confines of his promise, of his word, of his direction for our lives? As we sing a closing worship song, while you're singing and worshiping, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask him to, to reveal to you, is God's, some hard questions, is God's purpose and plan for my life truly my priority in life and is that proven and real simple is that proven in the way I live my life daily am I in search of him am I seeking him I do life all the different things and responsibilities of course you do but is there this ever conscious awareness of his presence am I doing those things with him am I acknowledging the Lord in all my ways so that all my ways he directs and my path becomes straight ask yourself is his promise and his word is it really the strength and source of my life am I drawing how I live my life each day from him so that I can become more and more like him and and I'm going to give you an assignment this week, when, when we close the service after we worship and close in prayer, um, I've asked them if, if we put on the screen, there's going to be seven words on the screen. I want you to write them down. Okay? Um, if you're at home, we'll leave it on the screen on, for you as well. Have a paper and pencil and, and just write them down. S- seven words. And I, I want to challenge you. This week, take one a day. And, and don't, they don't have to be in the order that they're listed on the screen. You can take them in any order you want. But take one each day. And apply the teaching of today. How, how has this, like one of them is going to be about presence. One of the words is presence. And, and start saying, how, how does the presence of God impact my life? Am I pursuing the presence of God? Am, do I understand what his word says and what promises he's made to me about his presence? And we're going to make that just a daily meditation and study with this goal in mind that, Lord, your divine power is at work, and it can transform me into your, and I can be a partaker of your divine nature. That's a good exchange. And I want that to happen in my life. Well, let's get real practical about it. 
Let's find out. Here, you'll find these seven words will, I think, bless you and help you. And as if we're honest with ourselves during those times, it's just you and the Lord, be open to the Holy Spirit to show you where you may need to pivot. Some change you might need to make in life. Change in thinking. Change in behavior. Change in thought pattern. Change in relationship. Change in whatever. He, be open for him to point to areas in your life that need to change so that that provision can become yours, can have a stronger effect in your life. We're going to worship the Lord, meditate on his goodness and what you've received. What are you taking home today? And then we'll close our time with prayer in just, in just a moment. Great. 